One of my top priorities in a current pursuit of self-improvement is to not make decisions that will make me hate myself if they go wrong. I'm a perpetual self-loather. To be fair, I've never been seen by a psychoanalyst of any kind, so any diagnosis is self-attributed. I tend to have high regards and optimistic outlooks for other human beings. Yet, the man in the mirror is constantly berated with harsh reviews and burdened with expectations of near impossible standards. This has its benefits. Structure and discipline might very well be personality traits impossible to manifest without a stringent attitude toward the highest of self-demand. It brings with it, however, a rigidity that can be hard to break when pressures and stress demand a bit of leniency to alleviate one of self-doubt and remorse. In life, and certainly in sports betting, one cannot be successful without a short-term memory when it comes to making mistakes. Free yourself from your past digressions and embrace the path that befalls before you. What does this mean? Free yourself is the key phrase as opposed to forgive yourself. Forgiveness requires moving on from a mistake and should only be done when true progress has been made. You can be angry about making a mistake and still hold the lessons near that must be learned. Yet freeing yourself allows you to move forward in spite of a past riddled in error. Digression means to get off track of the path that was best in making forward progress toward a positive result. You are accepting of the faults that have led you astray, yet fully engaged in course correction toward the ideal. That ideal still exists on a path that may have been altered with your misaction, but still a realistic mark that can be reached. There is no time to mourn the loss of a perfect journey, and one must be welcoming to a pursuit riddled with imperfection. My top goal this football season was to not spend time in the dark bastion of self-demoralization. Friday morning, though, contained hours of this despair after taking the first loss of the week as the Washington football team failed to cover the spread. This had zero to do with an incorrect handicap of Washington. Thinking that the defensive line would overwhelm the Giants' porous offensive line, only to see New York move the ball with ease the entire game, was an acceptable wrong. I've learned by now that predicting games is really hard. You have to fire opinions with strength and confidence, despite previous encounters with incorrectness. But certain contingencies that you always bring to the table are not only okay, but encouraged. I have some non-negotiable betting restrictions that allow me to walk away from otherwise gambling green lights. If you're playing Andy Reid in September, I don't care how much value is in the number or how much of a fairy tale story the narrative is, I'm not betting on you. In the Super Contest, I have a particular rule of not playing Thursday night games. Often divisional matchups, which are wild cards in their own right, 
the early week game is often sloppy and played with an unorthodox game plan that is different from whatever the normal Sunday lead-up would develop. There is one edge the better, amateur or professional, has against the sport book, and that is they can walk away from any game. Books are open to any play, but our play can be selective, so I want to stay out of a game that is more unpredictable than the other unpredictable slate and choose my battle elsewhere. The truth of the rule, though, is more square and more neurotic. I want to head into Sunday optimistic that the contest picks can run 5-0. The boost of catching a win on Thursday is minimal compared to the crushing feeling of being 0-1 for three days before facing the gauntlet on Sunday. I don't have a lot of rigid rules, but I don't want to make decisions that will make me hate myself when I'm wrong. Keep your optimism as unrealistically high as possible while making your betting decisions on Sunday. This is the Sharp Square Podcast, Monday's Week 2 Recap, all of the things that we should have seen coming but didn't, and a few things that we predicted and got right. So let's not waste any time. We'll get right into our five games. Now, I've said a good deal about Washington already. Here was the biggest problem in that game, and it was mispricing. The look-ahead line in that game was three. The line we ended up betting was three as well. But Fitzpatrick was out. Why was there no correction in the line? With Heineke taking over, that line should have been dropped a point or two to where Washington was a short home favorite. But the line didn't move at all because the books knew that the football team backers would overpay to play Washington. And we walked right into the trap. It wasn't even a value spot. This idea of looking at games and picking winners, it sounds simple. It sounds like it's the point of sports betting. But the real professionals, the ones who do this successfully, they know better than to think that any given Sunday doesn't apply to them. They know better than to think that they can just predict the outcomes day in and day out. They're looking for edges. There was no edge in this game, and it forced me to play in a spot where I normally like to walk away. This was an easy one. This should not have started the week out with a big X, but I let it happen. I take responsibility, accountability, and now it's time to learn the lesson and move on. All right, next game was the Steelers minus six home against the Raiders. I'm not going to get into whether this was a Tomlin spot or not. Should you have we been fading Pittsburgh? All I know is that the narrative was the same from a lot of people. Oh, the Raiders after Monday night, high emotional game, short week travel, they're going to lay an egg. 
they did nothing of the sort. The Raiders just played really well. This was a spot bet against the Raiders, and it was just wrong. It doesn't mean it was a bad play. It was worth looking at, and it was, I think, the right idea to have a low expectation of the Raiders' performance versus thinking that they could replicate what they had done in Week 1. The problem I pointed out to Mike over this game was the Steelers' offense. You know, the Steelers came in 1-0, but if you looked at the game the week before against Buffalo, they didn't produce any offense, and they didn't do it again here. We knew the offensive line was going to be a problem for the Steelers. They've gone from one of the better lines in the league to one that looks like it might be below average, and Big Ben is just one of many aging quarterbacks that we got to stop looking at the name on the back of the jersey and start looking at the performance of this player now. He is bringing too much clout for his name, and this offense is in big trouble. Now, they might be world beaters on defense, but Oakland's a real offensive team, and the Raiders really produced in this game. It was an incorrect handicap. But the hindsight to where you could have gotten away from this one is you you want to bet against the Raiders in this spot. But always remember, for teams you want to make a play against, you've got to bet on somebody. And the decision was going to be to bet on the Steelers laying a big number with a team that doesn't produce offense. That does not yield the results you're generally looking for. Okay, the next game just pissed me off. You know, the Falcons and the Bucks. We're, me and Mike are playing this contest where in order to win, you've got to win about 75 to 80% of your games against the spread. That sounds really hard, darn near impossible. I think we might play a new game that's even harder. That's called pick a Falcons game right. I mean, we're going back to the Jerry Glanville days, and I don't think me or Mike have ever predicted a Falcons game correctly. Yet, they're constantly in our picks. Like, I just don't understand at what point do you say, you know what, we're not very good at picking Falcons games. I once wrote a rule. Bet on teams that you pick wins and losses for well. You know, teams that you have some sort of gauge on the pulse of the team. I don't know anything about Atlanta. All I know is this pick looked golden. With about six minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Falcons get a big stop to get the ball back down by three. I mean, forget the plus 13. They've got a chance to win the game outright. And Matt Ryan, who used to be a good quarterback, on two straight possessions, throws pick sixes. Matt Ryan is a guy you bet on because you're getting a good quarterback, better than average. I think, I know for me, that name is carrying too much cachet. And after watching that pitiful performance, where all they needed to do was manage the game in the last six six minutes to get a cover. Complete disaster. Now, I like to be accountable for my losses, but here's one thing I'll say. 
if you picked the Bucks in that game, that wasn't a sharp play. That was a lucky play. As bad as the Falcons can be, it took two pick six defensive touchdowns for the Buccaneers to get the cover in the end. Just a pathetic performance by the Falcons. The only thing that's worse is the way me and Mike pick Falcon games. Okay, it was not all bad over the weekend. Bills were great market correction. This is why I look at the box scores after the game. If you go back to post week one, look at the Bills versus the Steelers. The Bills won the game on paper, but in a defensive contest, the Steelers blocked a punt, ran it in for a touchdown. Somewhat random play, but that's really what cost the Bills. And this team, the Bills, who everyone is on the hype train, people started to sell their stock. But the box score said, no, Buffalo is a pretty good team that played a pretty good game. On the other side of the coin, you had Miami. They played New England in week one. New England won the game in the stats, yet a late fumble by Damian Harris cost them the game. Again, a sort of random play. And Miami, despite getting beat statistically, wins the game. Now you have a 1-0 team with a bit of a false finish for a victory versus an 0-1 team with a little bit of a false finish that ended up in a loss. Put them together in week two, and I thought if you wanted to buy Buffalo stock, this is a good price. Three points against a familiar division rival I mentioned to on Thursday with all the storms in the Florida area, this heat and humidity, which is usually an extra edge for these Florida teams in September, didn't really apply. This game ended up being an absolute blowout, 35 to nothing. We only laid a short number. I thought just the theme of two teams that looked different on paper than their result in week one made this a good market correction for week two, and it proved to be a winner. Last pick was the Bears. I don't know. It was kind of ugly. Dalton got knocked out of the game. But I predicted that the Bears' defense was better than people were giving it credit for. They caused three straight Burrow interceptions. Bears get the win. Laid short points, and that was good because it needed it for the cover. And that, folks, is Hindsight 2020 for Week 2.